Hey, folks, I know there are lots of business owners who listen to this show. Maybe some of you never planned on running a business, but now here you are. One thing you've always got to keep in mind is how much you're spending on your operating costs. That's one of the first things we had to keep in mind with WTF. And with things costing more today than they did when we started, you want to keep your expenses down. To reduce costs and headaches, be smart and use NetSuite by Oracle, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. Reduce IT costs, cut the costs of maintaining multiple systems, improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash WTF for more. That's netsuite, N-E-T-S-U-I-T-E dot com slash WTF. All right, let's do this. How are you? What the fuckers? What the fuck? Six? What the? I can't even. What? I'm on a mountain. What the fuckadelics? Let's leave it at that. I'm on a mountain. I just hiked two hours to the top of this mountain. I got very little water. I'm not saying that that I'm going to die or anything, and I, I'm not going to be over dramatic about what's happening here. I came to Joshua Tree for two days to try to clear my mind which proves to be a little more difficult than I assume. Today on the show, Brian Frazier will be back in the garage. God forbid this is the last thing they find that I left. Well, maybe it wouldn't be bad. We'll see how it goes. I came up here yesterday. Took a while to get out of the house. Just come up for a couple of days to try to do something, to try to be okay by myself, to try to it's not like a long-term thing, but just to, even to, just to go on a hike by yourself, just to travel by yourself. Yeah, granted, I travel a lot when I uh, perform, but just to go and like, all right, I'm going to hike up a mountain in 100-degree heat with a little bit of water by myself. Oh, there's a hawk. See, that, I would be, he would be eating me. If something went down right now, if my heart just stopped or I just decided not to ever leave this place and just wait it out, I imagine someone would come find me. The rangers would find my car. But would it be before that hawk ate my eyes? Do hawks even eat eyes? I don't even think they do. I think they like the the thrill of the hunt. Probably some other horrible bird would eat my eyes. Hawk would be chasing lizards. It's got a little more pride than that. Maybe. Depends what the food sources are. Oh, all of a sudden I'm a scientist? Why the cynical, negative, kind of like existential darkness? Why does this... I'm going to lay some first-rate, top-notch navel-gazing on you. Because I am a top-notch, first-rate navel-gazer. This fucking rocks. What if I... I don't even know if there are snakes up here. Here's the point. So, how did I start the day? What am I really looking for? I just want to clear my mind. It's very hard. God damn it. People are like, you're going to do shrooms? A Joshua Tree? Are you going to do shrooms? No, man. No. I'll tell you what I did. I made some melon balls before I left L.A. with my Grandma Goldie's melon baller. So that connects me to that past. I got up this morning. I ate the melon balls and some blueberries with some yogurt and some coffee. I got a map to this hike that I'm on right now. And I did it. 
and I'm looking. It's fucking beautiful in Joshua Tree. I can't even imagine it. I could imagine it on mushrooms, I guess, but I think I'm past that. I think something else has to give, you know? I just want to be okay by myself and just be okay to sort of sit and be okay with myself. I mean, I know what it's like to overdrive your synapses and make them like shoot electric waves that reach out past the collective mind into the big, the big old quiet way up there. I've been on the shrooms. I know what it's like. I know what it's like to, to just feel yourself hit the, the atmospheric cranium. They say that's where I drew the line. You know, I sort of drew the line in space because I, I don't I don't have what it takes to live out there, you know. But what I'm telling you is I've jangled my way into a sort of vibrating enlightenment of which I think, you know, some of it's stuck. You know, that residue of profound awareness that, you know, you, you are nothing and everything and very little lasts, very little matters. You know, those are the Zen moments, you know, as you're sitting here. This is what I jotted down these are the notes that i jotted down walking up the hill you know it's just like i spend my life lingering on heartache and mundane to-dos yes or no's decisions choices it's all choices and panic and worry good decisions bad decisions but that's it that's it yes no maybe gotta be careful of maybes though maybes maybes if a maybe is not a part of a negotiation or fueled by some passionate curiosity, I believe it is the language of inert fear. You're just landlocked or stranded within yourself. It's posturing. So these are the thoughts that I wrote down on my way up here. They still seem a little cynical. Even though I'm looking for space and I'm surrounded by dinosaur plants, looking out at this like awesome fucking terrain this beautiful empty desert there's not even cars man i mean joshua tree national park is spectacular it's just a a billion years of wear and tear from spinning around the sun and you know fissures and water and shifting plates and whatnot oh fuck there's a lizard there's a lizard what's up buddy what's up it's a lot of ants a lot of ants up here. Speaking of ants, speaking of bugs, I um, I um, I tried to save a bee. I watched this bee. I was sitting in the the spa mineral water tub, naked by myself, in the middle of the day yesterday. Maybe it was the afternoon. It was the afternoon. Outdoors, and I saw this bee wandering around just outside the uh, perimeter of the of the tub there, of the pool. He's just wandering. He's looking around. He's walking. And he just walks to the edge and just plops in to the hot water. And, I, and then I had those thoughts like, well, it's a bee. And then I was like, but it's life. But it's a bee. These things happen. He's not freaking out. This might be it for him. So it's sort of, uh, I don't know why, whatever. I don't know what was going on. But it was flittering, and I'm like, fuck it. So I took my glasses off, and I used my glasses as a spoon, and I took the bee, and I put him uh, put him back out. And I started seeing him wander off. And then I got back up. I got back in the tub this morning when I woke up, and uh, the bee was floating in the pool. 
So I don't really know what's going on, you know, with climate change or atmospherically or anything else. But I, I mean, not only are bees dying, but they're killing themselves. If the bees are killing themselves, uh, that's a much worse problem than than them just dying, because that that gives them a lot more consciousness than we assumed. And uh, maybe it's just the collective mind. Maybe it's just a fragment. That's the end. That's the edge of the collective mind. See, there's the, the type of uh, top-notch navel-gazing thoughts that I'm having at the peak of this hill. Oh, that's that shiny rock. A lot of shiny rocks. I feel all right. I'm comfortable. I got things to do, you know. But this was good. Maybe I relaxed. Who the fuck knows? All right, let's, let's go to my conversation with Brian. Sometimes I wish I paid more attention in school, or in some cases, any attention at all. There are probably a lot of things I could have gotten more out of, like literature. And now it's probably not in the cards to go back to school and study the classics. But luckily for us, there's a new podcast called The Foxed Page that dives deep into the best books of all time. This is basically like the best possible college English class, but more relaxed and fun. No pressure of grades or needing to prepare something to say in class. It's only the books you want to read and know about presented by best-selling author Kimberly Ford. Everything from Cormac McCarthy to Madame Bovary, from classics like Frankenstein to modern hits like Lessons in Chemistry. I love Ireland, but I missed the boat on James Joyce. The Fox Page has a three-part series on Dubliners, and that's a pretty great starting point. Want to get the most out of what you read? The Fox Page is for you. Get it now. Now, wherever you get your podcasts, Frazier. Brian Frazier, I watched a, um, I watched a Caroline's Comedy Hour from 1990. Oh, God, why'd you do that? To remind me of the Brian <laughs> I knew. Yeah, to remind that's... me of the Brian I met in Boston, Massachusetts in 19 fucking 89, maybe? When? Well, no, probably before that. Yeah. 87, yeah, 87, 88. I was living in an alley next to an Indian restaurant. Right, like downtown, right? Yeah, yeah. Like uh, uh, Marlboro and Mass Ave. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I remember we did a gig together, some horrible gig where you were standing on the floor with a sports jacket with big shoulders. <laughs> and I, I don't remember that. I, I never felt we like we got along really then. I think, uh, did you? Um. I don't know that either of us got along with anybody else, really. <laughs> I, I can... No, we were both, you know... Yeah. yeah, yeah. Difficult. Yeah, yeah. I was probably more difficult than you, but I didn't I didn't realize it yet. You always kind of, I think, in your head, knew who you were. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, even though you had problems getting along with yourself. Yeah. But I, I didn't know who I was till, uh about 10 or 12 years ago. Just, ha- just recently. Yeah, yeah. Well, I remember that you were, like, you were very intense... Uh, you're very, you know, um, quick, awkward. Yes. And uh, <laughs> and you always seem very healthy. I always felt that you were some sort of beacon of judgment. That like you lived a good life. You lived, you lived the controlled good life, and and everyone else was crazy. I thought that everyone else was crazy, not because I lived a controlled good life, but because uh, I was I was crazy. Yeah, yeah. I I used to think that um, that chaos f- followed me around, but then I realized no, I'm the fucking chaos, <laughs> and you know I can turn anybody. You know, I I basically I can turn anybody uh, my chaos onto anybody. Really? How does that manifest itself? Like, what what would you mean by that? Um, I just felt that. Uh, well, I think I, 
to explain the past, I have to jump ahead a little bit because uh, until I took until I was prescribed Zoloft, yeah, by a dermatologist of all things, yeah. Uh, my hands were itchy about a couple of months before my wedding and yeah. dermatologist said, the problem isn't in your hands, it's in your head. He prescribed me Zoloft. I wasn't depressed. And Like itchy how? Like like tingly? No. I ha- I was like literally scratching my, I was like one of your cats. I was like scratching my hands. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, so he prescribed Zoloft and I said, I'm, I'm not going to take this shit. This is, I'm not depressed. And I decided to, you know, take it. And within like 48 hours, I realized I was a dick. Really? Yeah. I realized I was a dick. It gave me this calm feeling. Did you try to pitch that as an ad campaign to Zoloft? (laughs) (laughs) I I tried tried to get involved with promoting Zoloft. Really? Realize you're a dick. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) No, I realized I was a dick. I realized that like- like looking back, I mean, I always kind of had a girlfriend. And yeah, I, I always had friends. But... I remember your girlfriend. Wasn't she a waitress at the Comedy Connection? Yeah, Karen. I still I'm still friends with her. She's married. And, uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Karen Cummings. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I just remember that you were very anal to me. Like you know, everything was meticulous. Your hair was always in place. You, <laughs> you dressed well. You seemed to be exercising a lot. Your your comedy. I do like one thing I noticed in watching that clip from 1990 is that. It was very abstract. It wasn't very personal. It was completely, if it wasn't just, you know, cleverly joke-driven, it was completely absurd. And you were sort of working that angle of like, I'm just a guy telling jokes, and no, I'm really weird now. (laughs) And now I'm telling jokes again. Yeah, well, one of the problems is I started comedy at like 20, or I was making a living at like 21 or 22. In Boston, like me. We were running around doing those one-nighters. But so, but you always had a perspective. That's the thing. That's one of the reasons I I like watching you. yeah. Um, I never had a perspective and point of view. Yeah. No point of view whatsoever because I, one of the reasons is I started too young and I didn't know myself. Yeah, but we all do. I mean, what did you come from? Where'd you grow up? Uh, Long Island. Yeah. It's weird. Cause I can never, you know, you're a Jewish guy, Yeah, but I never, I could never associate yeah. you with being a Jew. <laughs> like even when I saw your one man show, I'm like, he's still not reading Jew to me, even though everything is in place, <laughs> everything he's told me indicates that he's a Jew but I, you know, I get, yeah, hung, up. I get, of, I get hung up on that. No, shit. both of my parents are Jews. In fact, Michael Lee uh, called me uh, Hitler's favorite Jew. Oh, really? Yes. <laughs> and Michael Lee. <laughs> yes. How's that guy doing? I haven't talked to him in 12 years. Is he years. out here? I think so. I, I don't know. So where do you source the problem? Do you have brothers and sisters? Uh, yeah, I have a brother and two sisters, but I source the problem to my mother. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, so you, you claim that, you know- after being prescribed Zola for itchy hands because you were having a psychological stress reaction to the fact that you were getting married, right? You you realized that your problem was what then? My problem is uh, lack of perspective. I, I I mean, my problem was probably a chemical problem in that. But was it anxiety? Was it panic? Was it you know? How did it manifest itself? And when did you first start to feel that it was happening to you when you were a kid? Oh, when I was a kid, I had anxiety from. Probably my mother was uh, diagnosed with multiple sclerosis around when I was about 12 or 13. So it probably started then uh-huh. um, because my mother was in pain all the time and always yelling and throwing things and shouting. Yeah. And because of that, my father had to take care of my mother. And also because of my father taking care of my mother, I grew up, I literally grew up on fast food. My father would come home from work. He was a, a first grade teacher and say, pizza or McDonald's. Yeah. So literally seven days a week, I had shitty foods. Uh, I ate Halloween candy like 300 days a year. Yeah. You know, there was no monitoring for my parents. They were too busy. And so, how, how was that? Like, you know, what was your responsibility? In, in, in how, or were your siblings older or younger? 
uh, uh, older brother, older sister, and younger sister. So how did the, how did the household work around somebody who was? Because I imagine when she first got it, she was still functioning, correct? Yeah, but my older sister and older brother were kind of out of the house. Oh, really? So you're like a weird younger kid? Uh, no, I mean, I, I were like five or six years apart, but uh-huh. when I was 13 or 14, or uh, they were off to in college, so uh-huh. they, they weren't exposed. And my younger sister was like eight. So uh-huh. everything affects you in different ways, depending on what, you know, how old you were when it hit you. Uh-huh. So there was like, I grew up with stress, um, you know, once my mother got ill and the shitty diet. Yeah. didn't do me any favors and the fact that I could eat candy and do whatever I wanted to well I know but but aside from that emotionally I mean what was I mean you 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 your mother couldn't really parent or what she could or was there a system I mean how um yeah no it was it was tough yeah uh it was very tough for her to parent she actually continued to teach for a few years um and then she was a teacher as well yeah at and, what grade uh, first or second grade uh-huh and then after a while she you know she was determined and she taught on a couch in the, in the classroom. Oh and, my God. And yeah. And then after a while it was just, it was too much. She was actually a great teacher. I mean, she really, I can honestly say that both of my parents were great teachers and, uh, you know, never raised their voices to, to anybody. And they were there. Yeah, it was, it was great. And it, it was good to, to have both of my parents as school teachers yeah. because they had steady income and they were always home at, you know, three thirty. Right. Right. So it was never like, Oh, when's dad coming home? It's like nine thirty. So you felt like so, there was a functioning family unit. It's just once the illness hit, everything became. Yeah. Everything kind of collapsed. Yeah. And, and you were, okay. So you're eating shitty food every day. You're eating a lot of candy. Your mom's yelling all the time because she's uncomfortable and in pain. Right. Your father's trying desperately to keep her comfortable, I imagine. Yeah. My father was a, uh, still is a saint. Uh, yeah. He really, like, you know, at her beck and call, all, you know, 24 hours a day. Um, Did not get bitter. Not unless it, he may have been bitter internally, but nothing out loud. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I like yeah. those stories. I need to hear those stories. Yeah. Of loyalty and commitment and uh, self sacrifice. Yes, in fact, um, uh, not to <laughs> bring a damper on the. Uh, That's all right. But um, today is the. Uh, I haven't seen you, but my mother died a year a year ago today, which is uh, ironic. Just yeah. a year ago today. A year ago today. Yes. So she lasted a long time. Yeah, she was uh, seventy eight, I think. Oh my god! And so she died of that illness. She died of. She was getting dementia. She was. It, it was really, really, really bad towards the end. And were you there for that? Um, I was in Dallas. I was trying to get there, but um, I'm glad I didn't. I'm glad my plane didn't make it. When she passed, you mean? Yeah, yeah. But I, were you in touch with her and in, in, in going to uh, see her? Where was she? Uh, where was she living? They, they moved to Florida. Oh, so they were in Florida. Yeah. So you would go to Florida. Yeah, yeah. And so, and so they moved to Florida when you were how old? Oh, when I was an adult, maybe ten years ago. Oh, but you spent time down there. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. It's it's a horrible, horrible place. <laughs> Why do you say that? Oh, it's just it's horrible. It's like sometimes you know when my wife and I go down there, we have like a little game. It's like every time you pass a store that's not Bed Bath and Beyond or not a chain, you know, you give somebody a dollar. I mean, it's it's just ridiculous. <laughs> it's ridiculous. Fort Myers. Uh huh. Yeah, it's. I'm not even going to get into the stand your ground stuff, but <laughs> yeah, is uh, is your father still down there? Yeah, he's still down there. He has a he has a girlfriend. Mm-hmm. He met her on J date. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. He's the happiest person I've ever met, and I can't believe he's my father now like, I, or n- always. Now, now it's unbelievable. Well, I imagine that you know when you give your life to somebody and you and you and you stay with that, you don't run away. 
that, you know, sadly, there's probably a little relief if someone's ill at the end of that. Yeah. And he said that, uh, you know, he promised God that he would stay there till the end and get her through it and all, all this stuff. Really? Uh, yeah. And um, he is, like I said, I wish I had a tenth of the happiness he has. <laughs> And if he passed away tomorrow, I'd be like, oh, my God, he he's had six months of pure bliss that I, I never even thought he'd have one day of bliss. <laughs> and, you know, so you became you became very sympathetic with your father's plight because of how draining it was to deal. Oh, I've been I was sympathetic for years. I could not believe he told if if my spouse treated me like that, I'd be out of there. But like what? She was ill. Yeah, but she was ill, but she was uh, vicious. She was violent. Um, From the illness or just because she was bitter? Um, probably both. Uh-huh. Like, it's not a symptom of the illness, but her lot in life had, had caused her to, to be angry. Yeah. I mean, my father would sometimes have to uh, um, move her from, you know, she was in a wheelchair at, for the last 15 or 20 years. Uh-huh. He would have to get her from her, uh, like, her hospital bed that, you know. In the house. Uh, in the house. Yeah. To the wheelchair, to the bathroom, out of the wheelchair, and uh, onto the toilet and back, sometimes 15 times a day. Mm-hmm. And as my mother was being inactive, her weight ballooned. She probably weighed close to 200 pounds just mm-hmm. because she wasn't moving at all. And, you know, my father's not that big of a guy. And to transfer somebody like that, you know, mm-hmm. that many times, and she would scratch his arms, and it was... He'd have to wear like flannel. Why? Because she was mad. She's she was getting crazy and she was aggressive and 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 violent. Oh my and, god! And you yeah. saw this? You witnessed this, or you heard I, about it? I heard about, it, but I mean, I would see the scratches oh my, in my father's arms. That is insanely uh, yeah. chaotic. But you yeah, know, the, the the tragic thing is, is that you can't just dismiss it as you know, like, well, that person was crazy. She had she was ill. I know. And so it's a hard balance to make emotionally to try to keep that in perspective. I know, but I I. She was told by, uh, you know, my niece and my brothers and sisters, it's like, you got to treat, you know, dad a little bit better. I mean, this is really, and she would just yell at us for suggesting that. Really? Yeah. And she would say, and again, it's it's all perspective because what Zoloff did for me, I see a lot. I I know it would have helped my mother. And I tried to convince my mother to take Zoloff or to go on a pill like that because I think that there was a chemical imbalance in her as well. That was creating this like she's a saint and everybody around her is an asshole. Well, I mean, but that you know what that is, and and, and I, I think you're probably right. But I, and I'm no psychiatrist, but it seems to me that the other part of your story that you know we should get into is that you know that that's that's a uh, kind of a control freak disposition. That 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 sort of like perfectionism and and that weird sort of like you know nobody knows how to do it right. Uh, you know, I know better than everybody else. Uh, why can't everything be the way I want yeah. it to be? And it seems to me because like having not m- uh, probably m- more of that than I admit, but I know you, you struggle with the uh, hypochondria, and that to me, in retrospect, was really a way to to simplify the world. You know, to turn down like if you focus on one part of you, if you it's selfish, but it's also it's like an eating disorder. Like you know, I'm dying, I'm dying, right. it's very, I'm dying. I have the. It's very. It, 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 it's a way of control. I mean, did you ever think about that? Sure. Um, I mean, what were you diagnosed with ultimately? I mean, I, I know you're 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 praising Zoloft, and I appreciate that because I think it does turn down the noise, and, and I can see a chemical imbalance. But I mean, 
you know, were you ever say, did anyone ever say, look, you have, you have massive anxiety, you have depression, you're bipolar one, two, what what did you get? No, no, I got none of that. But, um, one of the things which was, uh, in my book that I, I still do is my, and, and that's why I brought up the Halloween candy before and the, and the, and the bad food and the Big Macs and the pizza, um, the when I have too much sugar or when I have the wrong foods for me, that really like it still triggers really horrible, horrible feelings and horrible anxiety. So I went to an Ayur- Ayurvedist, yeah, um, which is one of the chapters in my book, and basically they look at your tongue and they take your pulse and they give you a right, diet. They give you a, you're either a pita or what is it? Pita vada, yeah, uh, and they give you a diet based on um, your energy levels and it sounds kind of. New agey, but it's really not. No, it's been around a long time. Yeah. It is a, a little new agey, but it's been it's hundreds of years. Thousands but but of years. little things like, you know, I, I'd have a banana every morning for breakfast. Horrible. Bananas are horrible for me. Yeah? Yeah. They're what just, happened? They're just bad. They're just, they, they spike my sugar and it makes me aggressive and it makes me a little crazy. So, a banana. A banana. Yep. Which you figure it's all natural. How can a banana hurt me? Yeah. All right. Well, let's go back. Okay. So when did you, like, when did things start getting, you know, out of hand for you? In, in what form? I mean, with the, I, you know, I mean, you said anxiety, but when did you start sort of, I, I when I met you, I think you were still bodybuilding a little bit. No, a lot, actually. That's probably when I started to compete when I met you. Yeah, but before that, so you were a comic, but you were also, you had a gym in your living room, right? Didn't you have like weights or something? Or No, no, that wasn't me. I Maybe I'm, I'm adding it, yeah, but yeah. I know you were ripped. But, yeah. And that was a problem for me. Yeah. yeah. I was like, what the fuck is this guy doing? Well, it's, uh, it's weird to be, you know, a bodybuilding comic. I mean, I would always wear big, you know, That's shirts. That's why you cause... wore them, because you didn't want people to know. That no, you... I didn't want anybody to know. And when I was at the gym, I would never tell a joke i'd be totally stoic and people at the gym didn't know i did stand up and people at stand up didn't know i even went to a gym but was the hypochondria before the bodybuilding um the hypochondria probably happened around the same around the same time no well i mean i was diagnosed with uh i got the zoloft when i was probably 37 or 38 and i started bodybuilding when i was like 16 so when did the when when were you freaking out about your health constantly um I think I've always been freaking out about my health in that, you know, my, you know, you see somebody that's not healthy mm-hmm. in the, in the adjacent bedroom. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also once I got to college, I was the only person that actually thought the food at the, you know, at the college cafeteria was great. Mm-hmm. To me, it was the greatest food ever because, you know, to go from McDonald's to up, it's basically like up a level. Uh-huh. It's like, oh my God, this food is great. And you can eat as much as you want. Uh-huh. So once I got away... I started to realize that uh, wow, it, it was a good it was a good thing to go away to college. Certainly. Yeah, yeah. But like, where when did the like the the panic start? The I panic mean, started probably fourteen, fifteen. I had like uh, nervous tics, and, yeah. and I would. Uh, that's one reason I never could really play in a band because, you know, to even play guitar for three minutes without like scratching my nose or like really? scratching my shoulder. Yeah, I I couldn't. I couldn't make it to, I did a little bit of studio work, but I couldn't make it through, you know, okay. even eight songs on a stage without like having to stop. And, and it's just a compulsion. You, you can't, you have to do it. It's, well, it, it, it's all based on the food I'm putting into my body. But, 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 but wait, I mean, I know you keep going back there, but I mean, you were in an environment that was chaotic. It wasn't supportive. There was, there was always a, a menace of, of anger and, and, and a little bit of chaos. I mean, right. you, your brain must've been doing, it couldn't have just been food based. 
Well, the food, the food really, if, if I was eating a healthier diet, then it would have been half the pain I was in. Well, what were some of the other things you went through that, you know, that you sought attention for? I was just into uh, bodybuilding, really. I just loved lifting weights. Yeah. Um, I think because it was just a solitary thing and I, it, it felt like I could, if I kept my body healthy, cause I didn't even really start to drink till yeah. I was like mid twenties. Yeah. Um, if I could keep my body healthy, then, you know, maybe I wouldn't have the same plight as my mother. Right. Oh, so that was, that was the reaction. That and also because, uh, both of my parents are Jews yeah. and, you know, we had most of our family, especially on my father's side, uh, wiped out during the Holocaust. So you grew up with that. I grew up with, yeah, my, my father would wake up all the time having uh, nightmares about Nazis. He was there. No, he wasn't there. Uh huh. But yeah. he lost his grandparents, or his... no? His grandparents were uh, made it over before, but he lost a lot of relatives. Uh -huh. and anyway, so I, I felt like if I could build my body up psychologically, then maybe I wouldn't get uh, the Nazis wouldn't get me. So that was your agenda was to sort of like become you know well fortified on all levels. On all levels, yes, emotionally and physically. Now, what what was uh, now? So how do you start competing as a bodybuilder? You're 18, 16, what? No, I started competing. Uh, and again, one of the reasons I did this is so I could document, like in case my health took a turn for the worst. Um, and when I say bodybuilding, I also did natural competition. So drug drug free, never took a steroid in my life, uh -huh. never thought about taking a steroid. So I thought that, you know, I could document that I was healthy in case at some point I didn't become healthy. And it also gave me a goal to strive for. So this is all really, you know, like a complete panic response to your mother's degenerative illness in a way probably yeah so how did, how did you start how did you start competing i mean did it was were you completely myopic about it like it was all you did um i wanted to um like i said i wanted to just have some kind of tangible result because yeah. the thing the thing about like uh lifting weights if you lift weights and you you could lift weights for two hours a day or two and a half hours a day like i did yeah for 25 years and yeah. then if you stop lifting weights for six months nobody even knows that you lifted weights so you're not building up really a skill is that true i mean you kind of it's just it turns into sort of well-defined fat yeah i mean there's muscle memory but for the most part it's not like taking judo or or playing the violin or something that if you put two hours of into into almost anything per day yeah. you're gonna you know when you're 40 or 50 or 60 years old even if you'd stop for a decade, you'd have something to show for it. Right. So you're lifting weights yeah. starting in your late teens, two yeah. hours a day, three hours a day. Two hours a day, six days a week, almost never missed a day. Uh-huh. Yeah. And when did you start competing? Uh, probably, well, I won my first contest in 84, so- Were I was, you proud of that? Yeah. In hindsight, you know, you look at pictures and you're like, I'm a fucking idiot. What the- I, It's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Why? But, because you thought it was a useless skill, really. Yeah, I, like I said, if my mother wasn't sick, and it also, I, I like having a goal, yeah. and that's the thing about, without the competitions, it's like, okay, where does this end? I'm just like, I'm just a hamster on a wheel. It just never, it just never stops. Trying you, to hold, maintain this body. It's great. That's why I don't, that's why I don't lift anymore. It's just the maintenance is, the maintenance is insane. But what, when did you snap? I mean, how, how high did you get? Were you ranked? How does it work? Um, there's no rant. You just um, compete in uh, different competitions. Uh, Iron Man magazine wanted to do a story on me, and I just thought it was weird, and I didn't. I backed out of it. But we, we, you had some shame around it when you started doing comedy. You didn't yeah. want people. 
No, I mean, I won. I was Mr. Natural New England 1984. <laughs> I was, uh, this is all from memory. Yeah. Uh, I was uh, Mr. Southern, runner-up Mr. Southern Connecticut. Uh-huh. I think 1991. Yeah. I think I finished second or third in another contest in 85, the New York Metropolitan. Now, when you're, when you're natural, do they test you and everything? They test you, yes. And you can sort of see in, in a body whether it's steroids or not, can't you? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there, there it's were- It's a body f- fat thing, and the were, definition of the muscle is different. It, it almost looks like there's, it's just filled with water. Yeah. Is there, it? There, there were quite a few people that, um, that failed the test, but because they brought a lot of people to the event- they let them slide, which is ridiculous. But they didn't, but they, they didn't give them the winner. They didn't let them no, no. win. Yeah, they did let them win. They did? Yeah, yeah. So it's a corrupt system. Oh, it's ridiculous. Yeah. All right, so, okay, so now you're you're Mr. Natural New England 1984, and you're, you're doing comedy, and right. you're doing this, you're leading this secret life of a guy that lifts weights. Right. Professionally. <laughs> so w- w- what was that transition like? When did you hit the wall with stand-up? Um, let's see. I was probably 31 or 32. Uh I used to be booked like nine or 10 months in advance and then, you know, it's two or three months in advance and it's two or three weeks in advance and then it's just, the the gigs were started to thin out. But did you think you that you missed your break or you didn't, you know, you weren't, what do you attribute the, the sort of, you know, because we're, you know, you were good friends with Louie back in the day and right. you know, we were all friends and we all knew each other. I mean, you were part of the crew. You know, when you weren't weightlifting, it wasn't like you were partying with right, us or right, hanging yeah. out as much because you had this secret uh, other lifestyle. But uh, but certainly I know from from being part of that and having my own disappointments in life, after a certain point with stand-up, you know, you got to think of practical things. And what do you think that, what do you think wasn't connecting about you? On, st- on stage, you mean? Well, yeah, just in the career you chose. Oh, it wasn't connecting because I, I, started, I started too early. I didn't know myself. Now, if I... The the one man show that I did, I felt that was the first time. Even though I've been on stage two thousand times, I felt like my one man show is the first time I ever connected with the audience. And that was about a lot of the stuff we were talking about. Yeah, it's based on my memoir, so I I was coming from my perspective. It was stuff that only I could actually say on stage, and, and it, it was, was it was true. It wasn't the you were an absurdist, you know, right. as a stand up, right? So you were sort of hiding behind this other thing. I don't know if I was hiding behind it. I don't know if I was uh, aware. Or that you knew necessarily how to make your life funny in that way. Because the context of a comedy club is very specific. Right. And it takes a lot of weird courage and balls to sort of shape, you know, your painful memories, you know, into something that you know other people would enjoy at a comedy club. Right, right, right. Because <laughs> I saw you one minute show. It was great. Oh, thank you. Yeah. So... What was the most trying time then, you know, in terms of like, you know, there must have been, you know, after the bodybuilding. What, so what did you realize with that? How, when, how, when did you put the weights down and why? I put the weights down uh, a little bit after I put the, uh, I put the stand-up down because I felt like the st- I, they're, they're very parallel in that I always need to have an end game. And with stand-up, I'm like, okay, I'm 31 years old. I just gotten a job on Mad TV out here, so, yeah. but I was I was filtering my my way down anyway, my way out of stand up anyway, because I'm like, I'm getting tired of all the. You were travel. writing for Mad TV. I was writing for Mad TV, yeah, the, the first season, mm-hmm. uh, with Patton and uh, and Blaine and uh-huh. those guys. Yeah, and uh, I just realized that I didn't want to. I, I couldn't see myself in the in your twenties. Stand up is like the greatest job yeah. imaginable. Right in your thirties, it's still pretty good. But I was I was seeing the light at the end of the tunnel. I'm like, 
do I want to be 40, 50, 60 years old out on the road? I, I, I'm, I was getting burnt out on traveling. Sometimes I was on the road for seven or eight weeks in a yeah. row. And, you know, same thing as bodybuilding. I'm like, do I really want to put two hours into or even an hour into my body every day? And it's just, where, where is this getting me? Yeah. And when did you meet your wife? I met my wife uh, uh, writing uh, thought bubbles on the TV show uh, Blind Date with Roger Lodge. So that was one of your writing jobs? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So your first writing job was at Mad TV? Uh, my first writing job out here, yeah. Yeah. So that's a pretty big break, really. Yeah. It was, uh, it was a great break. It was great to come out here and, and make some money. And uh, I wrote on uh, the Tom Green show back in New York. And uh -huh. then I wrote on the Ultimate Fan League, uh, like a sports show out here. And I, I zigzagged back and forth between here and New York, wherever there was you know, a gig. Uh -huh. I, kept, I keep myself, even though I have a house now, I keep myself really mobile and really light. And, uh -huh. you know. In case you have to jump to write. Yeah, yeah. I mean, my wife just, she's a sitcom writer. She got a gig about six or seven years ago in Manhattan, and we packed up and had no idea how long we'd be gone for. And uh, it was easy. It took me 15 minutes to pack. And when how, and you met your wife, how? She was, you were both writing on a thing? We were both writing Thought Bubbles on Blind Date, and um, we kept it a uh, secret. Um, everybody's like, oh, you should go out with Nancy. I'm like, I don't know. I just, I was just living with somebody for three and a half years. And in fact, we got fake email addresses. I was uh, Paul7500, and she was ZZZZ Sue mm -hmm. this way because we were in bullpens. If people looked over our shoulders and saw that we were writing to each other all the time, they put it together. So not only did we keep it a secret, but then we went to Brazil for three weeks, and then we came back, and then we bought a house. Mm -hmm. and then Together. Together, yes. The same house we're still living in. And then we uh, went back for another season of Blind Date. And people still didn't know we were even seeing each other. Why'd you keep it a secret? It's like 60-hour weeks, and it's just, I didn't need the extra pressure. Uh-huh. Yeah. And then you don't have children? No kids. No, just a dog. And you you don't want kids? No, no. What are you afraid of? I'm not afraid of anything. I, I don't want to, uh, I want to at least go down swinging and know that I did everything I could to do the sh creative shit I want to do. Mm-hmm. I, I don't, I don't want to relive... I don't want to teach a kid how to spell or drive a kid around to guitar lessons, and I don't have the energy for that. Yeah. All right, so now let's go you know, back up to the point where this moment where you realize you're a dick. Because, you know, when did this... Tell me about your reparative process that, you know, you take Zoloft for itchy hands, reluctantly. Right. And, and then it gives you uh, some space in your brain that you never had before to sort of, you know, see your life and yourself in a different way. Uh, you know, it kind of, you know, it slows down whatever. It stops the, the, the spinning. Right. So what is the journey from that point on to, to sort of, you know, change everything? Uh, the journey from then was I wanted to, I, I knew that Zoloft had, uh, I think the maximum dose is like 200 milligrams and I was on 50 milligrams. Yeah. And then, after I was on 50 for a while, you know, the 50 felt like I was on nothing. So I had to bump up to 100 and then uh -huh. 150. Uh -huh. And I needed to find some non-drug ways, some natural ways to kind of retain the Zoloft calmness because the Zoloft, you know. So before Zoloft, you were just freaking out all the time. I was freaking out. I was very, very angry. I mean, the, the amazing thing is I'm still angry, 
but I'm like 20% as angry as I used but to be. But how did that manifest itself? So when you lift weights, that's a, I can see that that's a very effective way to treat anger. And I can also see how stand-up in its weird way, and I, I never really framed it that way when I, when I think about you, because I watched you, the, the sets, but I remember you you know, were edgy. But like, you know, even the stand-up, there, there was a sort of, there was definitely a rage component under there. Now, do, did you have outbursts of anger that were, you know, that made you feel shitty and horrible? Um, as far as, uh, I mean, what do you, when you say you were an angry person, what were you angry at? I, I couldn't tell you. I had no reason to be, I mean, but what, but you, yeah, you could tell me yeah, what no, pissed you off. I, I could say that, you know, maybe I was, maybe I was mad at God for mm -hmm. dealing my mother bad cards. Uh, so you were pissed off at everything. What, what triggered you the most? Like in a day-to-day -day life. If you're calling yourself angry, right, right, road, road rage. Oh yeah, yeah, ro horrible road rage, and uh, I can't tell you how many. I, I don't even want to call them high speed chases because my car has, uh, you know, is is an old Volvo, yeah. so there's not really well, a high you would speed. Chase people, yeah, really, yeah. And then what? I don't know. You would just chase them, and you would would you stop and get out of the car? I have. And what'd you do? Nothing. You just got out of the car. But yeah, it's like- And stood there? Yelled. Well, yeah? Yeah. Like, what the fuck is wrong with you? Yeah, stuff like that. And then you get back in your car, you terrify a person. Yeah, I mean- For doing, I, for doing what, changing lanes in front of you or- No, for, uh, I mean, it's happened so many different times, I can't- Well, tell know. me what the, the, uh, the, the uh, what uh, was their, trans their transgression? What was their sure, crime? Sure, okay, uh, cutting me off in traffic. Okay. Sure. You have one of those. Yeah. 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 And you follow that person. Yeah. I, look, I've been followed too, as well. You don't have to justify no, it. No, no. I'm just telling you. It's not like- uh, yeah. I've never been followed. Really? Yeah. Wow. And, I'm, and I'm, 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 as I get older, I'm, I'm actually getting more shitty as a driver. Shitty. What? Shittier. In, in what way? I don't pay attention as much. I can't seem to parallel park as effectively as I used to. I don't know what's going on. Really? Yeah. I, wow. don't, I don't stop at stop signs. You know, I don't go through them, but I just slow down. I've gotten three tickets for stop sign and stoplight violations. I'm not blowing through them like I'm not. I, yeah, I yeah. just I don't stop completely. So okay, so you you chase people in your car when they cut you off. That that these are what I'm looking for. Okay. That's one way the anger manifests. Okay, like at a Starbucks. Is there any of that? You know what the fuck? No, I don't really. Uh, I try not to go into Starbucks if I if I can help it. But yeah, no long lines it, in general drive me crazy. Now, wait, okay, so at the before the Zoloft, were you the guy going like, oh my god? Yes, yes, I was. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So you're just teeming with rage all the time. This yeah. is something I understand. Yeah, and and the weird thing is the 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 uh, Carolines or whatever clips of of me that do exist from television shows I did. That is so toned down and so placid and so mellow because I knew that my rage did not translate into being on a TV show. So I would dial it way down. I'm familiar but, with that. But 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 when I was in clubs, I mean, I was so aggressive sometimes. I can't tell you how many people in the, in the audience I called cunts or just how many near fights, at, you know, with an audience member after or- Because just, you weren't getting over? No, because people are taught. That's the thing that drove me crazy when people chat up front, mm -hmm. and it, you know you've done more shows than yeah. me. You know that nobody is hearing it except for you and maybe three people around there, right? And everybody else is think thinks that you're overreacting because they can't hear anything. 
So you and I were driving, you know, hundreds of miles sometimes into the New England wilderness to do one-nighters at shitholes. Right. And you were just teeming with rage the whole fucking time. Absolutely. Now, you've chosen, it sounds to me, that, okay, so you're less angry. Now, did you ever spend time in actual therapy? Um, no, just for religion. I have a lot of religious issues, so. What does that mean? I cannot go to a church, a temple, or any house of worship and last for more than about 10 minutes. So if I'm going to a wedding or anything, I freak out and I, I yeah. What do you do? What do you mean? You freak out and what? I, f- I freak out. I have to physically leave and I have to like lay down on the bathroom floor. What or... happens in your fucking body, in your mind? My mind is, it, it, it almost feels like, uh, I've never had a stroke, but it, it feels like I'm about to go blind. The room becomes pitch white. Any type of house of worship. Yes. I was the best man at my brother's wedding and yeah. I fainted. Because of that? Yeah. You were at a temple. Uh, no, that was a, it was a religious, cere- it was a interfaith ceremony. And you can't, okay, so you're in therapy for that. What does that track uh, to? I, I was. Um, well, what, 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 what do you find? Uh, that I have an odd relationship with God. So really, so that's a spiritual problem you have. Yeah, but it's also connected to my mother and it's connected to Nazis and yeah. It you all believe comes- in God? Um, sometimes. I, I call myself an agnostic agnostic. I, I'm not even sure if I'm not sure. I, yeah, but, but, but I'm, I'm not an atheist. I get it. I'm, I have the same position, but I mean, but, but you have you know, a physical reaction yes. to houses of worship, Yes, generally speaking. I have to, I mean, uh, Nancy and I go to weddings all the time and we sit in the back row. In case you have to leave. Yes. What, yeah. what, but I'm trying to just get you yeah. to tell me. At I, what point does the feeling happen? Is it when God's name is invoked? Is it when you see Jesus up there or you look at a stained glass window or a star of David or what? Um, it would depend on uh, it would depend on the ceremony. If, if there's like biblical passages and if it's really, you know, if it's just like a, a, an, just a kind of generic service yeah. by like a justice of the peace or right. something, then that doesn't, you know. That doesn't trigger no. you. No, but uh, I think another, which I haven't... Uh, my rabbi that bar mitzvahed me yeah. also be, uh, converted and became an Episcopalian minister uh, like two years after he bar mitzvahed me or two weeks or two months, something like that, but yeah. shortly after. Right. So that also put, uh, you know, sent my brain into a crisis. Like, wh- wh- how, why is he switching teams? Yeah. Not only did he switch teams, but he came out with a book, which I actually uh, found on Amazon called uh, The Answer to Your Question is Jesus, Rabbi, at, by Christ Alive Publications. Really? Yes, I have. I have a copy. It cost me like. Were you angry at him? Oh yeah, yeah. So you like so Jesus was not you know you were on team Yahweh, right? And Jesus was this other thing. Exactly. They the other people like you know there was a competition. You have competitive spirit about that kind of thing, right? And he jumped ship. Did you sit there and like, well, what is my bar mitzvah valid? Exactly. (laughs) Well, not only that, but I I hated Hebrew school. So like like to to physically make it through Hebrew school. And then have the rug pulled out from under you. I mean, that just devastated me. But but you wanted to believe. I wanted to. Yeah, yeah. I was going to give it a a, a shot. <laughs> but it's just interesting to me, like you know, that you can't track those kind of feelings because that to me that doesn't strike me as you know a, a chemical issue. You know that that is a, a sensory issue. It's again like you're calling perspective or perception that something triggers you know a fairly profound psychological effect and physical affected you when right. when you're you're witnessing uh t- 
talk Bible talk. Yeah. And you don't know what it is. I I think it's just uh ultimately gun to my head right now. I'd have to say it's a fear of God. Oh. It's a fear of God. And that probably goes back to your mom too. Goes back to my mom. It goes back to the relatives in the Holocaust. It's just uh But did yeah. you think that your mother was being punished for something? Um possibly. Yeah. Um but possibly for being Jewish. I, I don't know. I don't oh, know. So you had that thing, like, you know, why yeah. the Jews? Yeah. Why am I a Jew? Yep. You had your self-hatred of your, 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 your anti-Semitism towards yourself. Right. Was deep. Did you, did you, were you ashamed of being Jewish? Because uh, this is weird to me because I, I could never, I, I sort of, you never fit into my, yeah. in my, my Jew abacus. <laughs> you're, you're, you were fighting your bead position. Well, well my, my parents changed, well, my uh, family changed their name twice. So basically my- To pass? No, my my if if nobody changed their name when they came over from uh, Poland, uh, mm-hmm. my last name would have been Dom, mm-hmm. but spelled D A M. Mm-hmm. So I would have been Brian Dom, which mm-hmm. again doesn't sound Jewish. So, so. my grandparents uh, came off the boat from Poland and they saw a guy selling fruit, so they named their se- themselves Fructer. Fructer. So my father grew up with the name Samuel Fructer, mm-hmm. and then when he asked my mother to marry him. Um, She's like, yeah, I'll marry you, but we got to do something about the name. So Frazier's completely made up. So right out of the gate, she's like, I'm not, I'm not taking that. Yeah, I'm not taking the- Fructor. Yeah, Fructor. It's horrible. Was your mother uh, ashamed to be Jewish? No, I don't think so. I don't huh. think so. And I think my father is, well, he's still alive. He's, uh, I think he's proud to, to be a Jew. So I don't think that I have any of those issues. Does he from practice? Me. Yes. It's now, weird when they get older, huh? He goes. He's got a congregation. He goes, goes once or twice a, a once or twice a week. Yeah, uh-huh. he Torah studies and uh-huh. all that stuff. Yeah. Have you ever dealt with the feeling? The, I mean, I I know you're sort of, you know, kind of boxing this into a chemical imbalance, but I mean, anger, you know, is a a, a sort of kind of broad mask for a lot of other feelings, sadness, fear, you know, all that stuff. Do you do you, did you ever tap into that? To try to sort of experience the grief of it all, um, I think sadness wouldn't be the right word. I, I everything goes back to fear. I think I think in life most people's problems are fear anyway. Yeah. So I think I think fear based would be more uh, uh-huh. more apropos. That's the other thing about about because you had mentioned that lifting weights is a good way to get rid of anger, but at the same time, yeah, your when your muscles are tight and you're walking around like you know, yeah. That how can you feel that? That's why I practice yoga four or five times a week now. I don't lift weights, but the yoga has helped like immensely. Really? Yeah, because your your muscles are long instead of you know tightened. Yeah, but what but what do you struggle with on a day to day now? What what are exactly your struggles that you need easing? You know what I live in a I live in a cul de sac uh-huh. that's uh, where the houses are pretty close together. Uh-huh. So I I struggle with noise. Uh, Neighbors. Yeah, and like nobody cleans up after their dog shit, and and the weirdest thing is when we bought the house, uh, Johnny Knoxville was our next door neighbor, and not only was he so quiet, it's a great guy, but he cleaned up after his dog every single time. Yeah, no, he's a good guy. Yeah, no, but I mean, he was he was quiet, polite. He was great, and now we have these these people with uh, like three kids, and I swear they've never said that the parents have never said. You know what? It's six thirty in the morning. You you can't just yell in the cul-de-sac. So. I have a lot of, I have a lot so of you noise are, issues. But you're still in a day-to-day struggle with with control issues and rage. Absolutely, yeah. I I, I have a very very, um, 
I don't have a uh, wide uh, range of uh, a, a wide margin of error in my life. Yeah. Now I'm not an alcoholic, or I don't I don't have any other vices. But as far as rage goes, and yeah, and I, and, and the need to control. I, I think it is the need to control. You're, you're right. I, I started doing uh, meditation, and that's uh, this new thing called Headspace, which I'm, I've been addicted to the last two months, and that's helped also. And that's kind of what it says. It's like, you know, when you're listening to noises, what noises do you like, what noises don't you like, and why? Mm-hmm. And yeah, so control could probably also be, be so that. So you have a hard time with the idea that, and I guess this would go back to the God thing, that, you know, essentially- the horrible realization uh, about being alive is you have control over almost nothing. That's a good. Uh, that's a good existential uh, fact. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> it's hard one to wrap your brain around. <laughs> yeah, you know, you, you you know, you can control what you put in your mouth and hopefully what you can do with your hands. But and I imagine, you know, and I, I don't usually get into this much speculating or or analyzing. I imagine that to watch your mother slowly lose control of every part of herself without a choice had to be just fucking brutal yes but here's what and again this is going back to control i think she did have a choice um because not, not that she would have had a great life but she could have had a better life she didn't really care about physical therapy or doing experimental you know she gave up yeah but even simple things like acupuncture that aren't you know crazy things but she could have had a much 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 better life she could have gone to physical therapy she could have gone to mental therapy she could have had you know uh gone on some medication that would have helped her mind she could have had acupuncture there are a million other things that she could have tried so you were mad at her yeah not doing that and just beating the shit out of your father and you mentally yeah Hmm. so all right take me through the path okay so you you tap out on zoloft right and and so that's no longer an option, or you were able. No, to... no, I'm I'm still on I'm still on Zoloft. But, but you maxed out. No, I I got up to 150, and then I went back down because I I I didn't want to. I went up to 150 milligrams. Now yeah. back down to 100. And it's still working. It's effective. You know what? I've tried to go back down to 50, and I feel myself slipping. So I go back up to 100. Slipping into. <sighs> yeah, just I, I don't want to you know go back into. A, a, a rageful state did you ever rage out at your wife never 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 at a woman ever even even pre-zoloft at the world but not at a woman at the never at a woman nope people you didn't know yes hmm. yeah and okay so take me through the other things so you, you went to the ayurvedist or the ayurvedic doctor right so you still honor that eating I honor it as much as I can, but it's 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 pretty strict. And even in a place like L.A., which is you know the easiest place to shop and mm-hmm. and, and find good foods, um, it was uh, you know it, it's like anything else. You really have to be, you know, when you go out to eat, you know, you have to either bring stuff. You know, I, I'm not going to bring stuff with me. Yeah. So I do the best I can. That's all and I can what say. Other, what other sort of actions and and things have you involved yourself with to level off um i'd say the the things that help the most are meditation yoga which are it's not you know <laughs> not yeah. like earth chat people are like wow really meditation and yoga help yeah and uh the, the ayurveda stuff there were the stuff that didn't work how desperate did you get i went to kabbalah the first i went to two levels i went to level one and level two what'd you learn 
I learned that there's just enough for level one. <laughs> I learned that level two is just like stretching as if as if the middle act is just like the, the headliner doesn't show up and somebody's just yeah, giving yeah. you the stretch sign. There's nothing. There's, well, what were you going there for? What did you think you would find? God? Um, no, just some kind of other way to uh, to look at life. Yeah. You know, I mean, I wasn't doing it as a gimmick. I, I anything I do or did, f- either for the book uh, uh-huh. or a- for anything else, I I really believe is going to help me. I so, really believe like the next thing is going to just help me. Sure, that's that's the answer. Yeah. So you did yeah. Kabbalah. What else? I did Kabbalah. I did uh, Reiki. What is that? It's some, I know a kind of it's a massage, it's right? Something like no, it's they a try touching, and touching and pull ener- bad energy out of you, put good energy back into you. How'd something. That go? It wasn't that good. That I wouldn't recommend that. I went to cranial sacral therapy, which actually helped. Uh, what is that? It's all these pressure points on your head. Yeah. But the problem is the guy's also at the same time sticking his like fingers in your mouth. Yeah. And I actually had a gag reflex and threw up on him. You did? Yes, I threw up on him. In I the- mean, I, I saw him like, I didn't throw up on, on him the first time, but I mean, I probably went there 10 or 15 times. Really? Yeah. But but it, it's interesting. There's not too many craniosacral therapists, but yeah, it definitely helps. It's pressure points. Pressure points on the inside of your mouth and on the inside of your head and then on the outside at the same time. Huh. Yeah, it's, it's pretty fascinating. Uh-huh. Yeah. And in order for that to help, you got to go once a week or what? Once or twice a week, something like that. I right, see. So you threw up on that guy. Yeah. The Reiki, they did not succeed in pulling the energy out no, of you. No, no. The Kabbalah, you, you know, did you learn anything in Kabbalah that changed the way you looked at things? Um. Yeah, there's something called the bread of shame. Yeah. Which- uh, I have some in my fridge. I use it for sandwiches. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they have this thing called the bread of shame. Uh, I think that's what it's called. Yeah. Where basically um, there's all, you, you can't expect things to be handed to you. Yeah. That, that's, that's the gist of it. You can't. You can't. You you have to expect to 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 get good things that there's going to be. You know, if things are handed to you, then right. So entitlement is out, uh, and sort of inviting uh, good things into your life and and working for what you get. Yeah, is... you got to earn it. Yeah. Uh huh. And there's some uh, some other things that were uh, that were kind of interesting. Like you scan these you scan these letters, even though I don't read Hebrew anymore. Um, you're just supposed to scan these letters and it relaxes you a little bit. It's, it's a big, I don't know, there's like 52 letters or something on a sure. laminated board. And, you know, that helped maybe a little bit. Well, but, any sort of focusing thing. Yeah. So, all right. So Ayurvedic got a little help out of that. Kabbalah, uh, we learned that, it, you know, uh, don't be an entitled asshole. Reiki, nothing. Yeah. Uh, cranial sacral therapy was nice. Nice to be touched. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Zoloft worked. What other ones? Uh, meditation yoga worked uh, meditation didn't work for the meditation works now but back then it didn't work I was uh, I went to uh, an a weekend Buddhist uh, meditation thing and I think it was eight hours Saturday and eight hours Sunday yeah for like 70 bucks or something right and I made it for 19 minutes and it was just like <laughs> and I left and then I went back in the kitchen and I, I stole my check back out of the thing I'm like, sorry, I'm not spending seventy dollars to sit on my to sit down for fucking nine minutes. So yeah, so that but, that but was that a must have been a combination of things. You must have looked around at where you were at and the people you were with. I mean, couldn't it just been this doesn't work? Well, it was it was so I felt so constrained, and I'm not really claustrophobic, but I felt like you know I felt like 
there's no way I'm going to make it this whole th- and, and and also the it's the the people that were around you like everybody has like a gray ponytail and it was yeah. just it was creeping me out I, I I had to get out I had to get out so you like this is a this is a desperate journey yes <laughs> for relief yeah for relief yeah the thing that uh, probably helped me the most which was purely accidental is uh, my dog yeah yeah he is uh. Nancy and I looked for probably two years for the proper dog. A proper dog. Yeah. Well, we didn't want to get a dog that was too big or too small, and it had to have the right energy and the right temperament. And she picked him out at a, at a pound, and I'm like, I thought he was deaf. He was so calm in the pound. I'm like, there's something wrong with this dog, and we, like, we would clap in back of him, and then he would like just turn very slowly, you know. Yeah. He's the calmest dog, and to this day, if I... I drive with him almost, he's not with me today, but yeah. I drive with him almost everywhere. And before I can have any road rage, he probably either smells something in me changing or he looks at my posture or he can just sense it. He'll scratch me with his paw, like a full- Cool off, buddy. Yeah, but a full like three or four seconds before the eruption occurs. Huh. And I'm like, he's a he's a dog. I'm not going to like disappoint him. So he completely mellows me out. Really? Yeah. Yeah, he gets very irritated at me if I get if I get irritated. Is this would you consider it a service dog? Uh yeah. No, honestly, he's been on uh 85 flights with me. Re- oh, and you oh, he's registered. Yeah. As a service dog. Yeah, he sits on my lap. B- for your anger problems. Yeah. Yeah, he sits on my lap and I'm completely calm. It's almost like, you know, you're with you're with like uh a new girlfriend or something and you're on a first date and you don't want to like you're able to love the dog unconditionally right and you don't want to you don't want to have him have a miserable time so you completely so you, codependent with the dog yes <laughs> yes <laughs> and it's healthy i it's it's working for me <laughs> <laughs> do you have fear about that dog passing every day how old is the dog he's uh he's 11 uh-huh. but he gets uh an hour of exercise uh at the park chasing a ball every seven days a week and then like another 45 minute walk in the afternoon like he's in great shape well how are you at 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 sort of future projecting i mean do you panic about that i only future project you do yeah i i tend not to live in the past i tend to live completely in the future and And it's always bad it's it's not great but (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, no, I, I I look way too far into the future. I wish I could live in the present, and uh, or even even the past is sometimes better than to always be looking ahead in the future. Because your brain doesn't let you visualize a good future necessarily. Um, it's always crisis management. No, no, it's it's not really crisis management. It's uh, it's just it's just looking ahead and it's not taking advantage of the moment. Yeah, it's not like oh, this is going to be bad. No, it's not necessarily like. I mean, my dog's ultimate outcome will be bad, but that's uh, that's a proven uh, proven formula. I mean, dog, you know, I think yeah. all of our outcome. Yes, is exactly. Some version of bad. Yes. And do you think about that a lot? Uh, no, I'm I'm not worried about uh, mortality. No, I'm not worried about it at all. If somebody said, "Oh, you can you can live forever," uh, sign here, I'd be like, um, "Take the piece of paper away from me, fucker." Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's there, too long. Way too long, way too long. I, I I'm not interested in living forever. My my wife wants to live forever, but I'm like I don't I don't want no. no. Now where does um uh what are you looking for? Where does happiness play into all this? 
Um, I am looking to uh, just, uh, let's see, what am I looking? I'm looking to save some dogs' lives and, and, and just work with animals and, and maybe make life a little bit better for some animals. And I'm looking to be uh, creatively stimulated. That's uh-huh. it. That's all I give a shit about. Have you given up on people? No, not at all. Okay. Not at all. (laughs) You think there are good people around? Absolutely. Oh, good. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I'm not always one of them, but yeah, no, absolutely there's good people around. Yeah. And you're in good shape? I Yeah, I'm in okay shape, yeah. Your health is good? Yeah, everything's everything's good. And I I started doing, um, I don't know if you've seen uh, the website I do with my father. We... uh, We've been doing a cartoon a day for about two years now. Oh, really? Yeah. You so, draw it? No, uh, he draws. He's a former uh, artist. Uh huh. So I uh, I send him the text and you know a description, and he draws it. What's it called? It's called uh, Fraser'sEdge.com. And the book is called what? Hypochondriac: One Man's Quest to Hurry Up and Calm Down. And we covered a lot of that. Yes. And what's the new book about? The new book is called uh, Over Under, and it's uh, like a. Uh, uh, a Logan's Run type thing about ageism. It's basically two different societies. Uh, once you hit forty, you're in basically a different a different area of town. So it's like segregation for uh, over over forty and under forty. And what's uh, what was the uh, the impetus or kernel of creativity that pushed that? Um, Hollywood. Yeah, probably Hollywood. Everybody's lying about their, you know, I, I'm not allowed to tell my wife's age, even our friend. It's just, it's just ridiculous. And I understand because she's in TV and, you know, but. It's not, no, it's not right. No, it's, 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 it's like, horrible. I find myself almost emotionally crippled around the elderly, you know, because I'm so scared. You know, but, you know, these are the people that know everything. But, like, you know, I get into a panic. Like, are they okay? Are they going to be all right? It's taking a long time. And can, <laughs> should they be, t- you know what I mean? I get overly sort of like I get nervous. Like, in, in what situation do you get nervous? Well, I talk to a lot of people in their 80s or 90s sometimes. You know, Carl Reiner, you know, Mel Brooks is very vital. I was recently with Harry Dean Stanton, and I was embarrassed because, you know, for some reason I talked to him for an hour, and I, I was like, why isn't he talking to me? And because he's 87 (laughs) and, you know, I, I was not able to adjust to his pace because I no longer, you know, in order to really have an experience with an older person, you have to either be close to your parents who maybe are, you know, hopefully are still alive in, 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 in having that relationship. I don't live close to my parents. I'm not in constant contact with them. I don't experience the, the elderly very often, you know, just like children. I don't have children, so I don't really quite know how to function properly. I I instinctively kind of do. But but it's something we should all you know it shouldn't ever be a second thought. There should never be like oh my god you know that person is really old. I'm nervous. I mean that shouldn't be the right. the, the the reaction. And I think because of the sort of almost segregation of the elderly, you know we we are cut off from an amazing resource of 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 wisdom and survival tales and 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 practical knowledge about life. But our society doesn't encourage it. Right. No, I, I I agree, and one of the reasons our society doesn't encourage it is because it's not a segment of the population that buys things. So that's another problem. Yeah, you know, advertisers don't give a shit about them, and you know, TV shows aren't going to put you know old people on uh-huh. unless it's just like one small role. Uh-huh. But yeah, no, I I I totally agree. I think it's uh, I think it's crazy, and unless you're like a gymnast or or a baseball player where you're where you're livelihood has a an expiration date uh-huh. like 
I'd rather have a 65-year-old accountant than a 25-year-old accountant. You know, you've been doing it that that long and you're not going to make as many mistakes. That's right. That's right. It's, it's just, and, and you're ostracized once you hit a certain age. It's it's crazy. And it's not just in Hollywood, though. That's that's the sad thing. No, it's everywhere. Yeah. I mean, There's perfectly capable people of a, of a certain age that, that can't get work only because of that. Yep. Because people are uncomfortable with it. Yeah. People are uncomfortable with seeing wrinkles and gray hair, and it's it's very sad. It is. So yep. that, so your book is really addressing that in a satirical way? In a satirical, yeah. Science fiction way? Yeah. Kurt Vonnegut-y. Uh-huh. Yeah. So yeah. it's, it's a novel. It's a novel, yeah, which is uh, much more challenging than a memoir, obviously, because I'm writing it in the third person and, you know. Yeah, that's real yeah, writership. Yeah. So you, you, you write, you're, you're working on that second book. You don't do stand-up anymore at all. Right. Don't ever crave it. No, I don't crave it at all. In fact, anytime like I, I see somebody, you know, hey, I'm off to Santa Fe, I, I, feel, I feel bad, you know. I've kind of been there and I've been through it and yeah. Hey, it was my biggest fear in the world when I started this podcast, you know, that, that I would be an irrelevant road comic and I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I couldn't have done it. I, I don't know what I would have done. I don't know what I would have done, but it was not the life I wanted to leave. How, how many weeks a uh, year are you on the road now? 10? I don't know. I mean, you know, this, you know, having an audience and being able to sell a few tickets is new to me. Uh, you know, I think the first significant tour was last year. But, you know, I'm, I try to go out, you, you know, for, you know, if I can one night uh, and that, you know, and, and if uh, if that if I can't do that just for a Friday, Saturday. So it's not that kind of like Wednesday through Sunday thing, yeah. and, you know, and if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. I mean, fortunately, you know, between the TV show and the podcast and, you know, other things, you know, I, I do OK. You don't have to rely on that. But, you know, it's nice to go out and, you know, and, and, and perform for the people that, that like me. But I don't I don't know. Yeah, probably, maybe I don't know. I I it, it, it I don't have any. I don't pay attention. You know, yeah. They, to me, my calendar is like, oh shit, I got to leave tomorrow. You know, I don't. I'm not a big future thinker. <laughs> yeah, and I wish I wasn't a big future thinker, man. It's horrible. Yeah, I, somehow or another, I think between sobriety and age, and also you know, just having some success at this late in the game, uh, you know, a lot of that stuff, that panic has has gone away. So, what else are you doing with the with your? You're making comics with your dad. <laughs> you, right. <laughs> you're trying not to write on reality shows, I imagine. Yes. And what else you got? Um I still write for Esquire and, and other magazines, uh-huh. but I started a um uh a video game company called uh Time Suck Media. Really? Yeah. And yeah. are you a video gamer? Uh not really, but I'm I've I got uh, a friend of mine from uh college liked the idea and we raised some money in uh in Silicon Valley and we have this great gamer. Uh, who has like 30 years experience and uh-huh. used to work for Pixar. And uh-huh. we've been working on it for about a year and it, it comes out in a few months. And, it's and it been, just hits the market for what, PlayStation and everything else? Is um, that how it works or what? No, it's like uh, it's like uh, Angry Birds for like iPhone and iPad. Oh, really? And Android. People and all love that, stuff. that shit. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. So you just enter the marketplace and see what happens. You enter the marketplace and you hustle and you hope you get you know plugs on boing boing or other well it's like that's one of those things where it's like if the kids dig it it goes exactly and you you feel confident yeah i feel really good about it you want to talk about it or is it sure i can no i can talk about it the first the first game that comes out is called um so it's time suck management and the the slogan is there's always time to suck yeah uh and the first game is called uh you suck you suck the game (laughs) and it's just like this this vacuum cleaner that sucks up 
you know, sucks up all sorts of stuff, <laughs> you know, bugs, uh, lobsters, and it, it has like a Looney Tunes feel to it. So uh-huh. it's, it has some like comedy in the actual. Is it fun video to game. look at? Yeah, yeah, it's really, it's. I, I think so. All right. Yeah, I mean, they've done they've done a good job up north. You were never diagnosed with hyperactivity, right? No. So you never won Ritalin or anything like no, that. No, never, never on a drug until Zoloft. Do you feel like you should have been? No, I felt like somebody should have told me to stop eating all the candy. To be honest with you, I, I, the amount of the number of grams in, of sugar in, in all the stuff I put into my body, and I don't think that you know if you're eating candy as a teenager, I think it builds up in yourself, and it, it's not quite so easy to to get rid so of. So the book really you know takes you through the journey of of living with your mother with with the MS, and. And then, you know, the relationship with your father and then the bodybuilding and then the comedy and then the hitting the wall and then the, the sort of anger problem and all these different, uh, this almost this kind of uh, picaresque journey through right. desperate attempts at, at, at finding peace. Right. And you end up at your dog. Pretty much, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> my, my dog is, he's, he's saved my life in a, in a lot of ways. He really has. Uh-huh. Yeah, if I, if I hadn't, uh, I don't want to say discovered Zoloft because I, I certainly didn't. I think Tommy Zoloft discovered Zoloft. Is that his name? Yeah, yeah. sure. Yeah, yeah. Tommy Zoloft. Uh, what a guy. But uh, no, if if I hadn't discovered Zoloft, I probably would. I, I there was a good chance I was heading down the road of uh, being dead. And how did you picture that happening? Rage of some, you know, somebody pulling out a gun and shooting me, being or a, the bad end of a yeah, the bad end of, of a confrontation, of, of a rage, or a. Did you ever get into a physical fight? No, I have not been in a physical fight. Me neither. Isn't that weird? You're so, such a fucking. Time. You're such an asshole. Yeah. That you know, how is that possible that no one just punched you in the fucking face? Not since high school. How many fights? High school, probably three or four. Uh huh. Yeah. When you were big. Um, not that big. I mean, I'm still. I was never. You know. But you had that. You had that muscle and and uh, emotional memory of fist fighting. Oh yeah, yeah. Huh. I don't even have that. Yeah. I'm not asking you to kick my ass. Yeah. <laughs> I, I just, I think we underestimate our charm and our diplomacy when it comes right down to it. And just shit luck. Yeah. Well, it, good luck. I it's mean. all, it's all luck. Yep. I agree. I mean, I also went from 5'3 to 5'10, uh, which is about what I, how tall I am now in between seventh and eighth grade. So I was, <sighs> I was very tall from an early age and I still have kind of an inflated, uh, an inflated uh, opinion or inflated vision of how large I am or was. And, you know, 5'10", I mean, I think that's what the average height of an American male is now. It's like, I'm certainly not big, but because I was, I towered over people when I was like in high school, uh-huh. um, I think I'm a lot bigger than I am. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And well, yeah, you're, you're big, you have a big attitude. Yeah. But you, but it's weird about rage is that once you enter it, you're not making decisions based no. on anything other than that following the rage yep that's a dangerous place to be yeah you're completely you may as well put on a blindfold because yeah. you don't know what is in front of you or or there's no rational and decision you feel it out. you feel it coming up in you yeah it's bubbling like a lava lamp it's horrible but yeah it's it's that it's a very decisive moment well i'm glad you got your dog man oh my dog is he's the best thanks for talking thanks All right, that's it, folks. I'm going to walk down the hill. I hope you enjoyed that. Brian's a, he's a little tightly wrapped, but he sounds good. Brian and I have had an interesting relationship over the years, and I'm glad he's doing okay. Uh, it was an interesting story. I'm glad he stopped by. All right, so what are we going to do, man? Do you want to walk a little bit with this 
rig here. Should probably drink some more water. Put things into perspective. I am not a mountain. All this stuff is going to be here when I'm gone. It's going to slowly change over another billion years. Maybe someone will be standing here saying like, isn't it wild? There's just an ocean of ice here. <laughs> Boomer lives.